0: <laughs> I'm very relaxed as you can tell the stretching. Mate, so why the fuck would you come on board as an ambassador for Swiss 8? What was the draw card,
1: mate? Um oh, Sutz was the draw card. If I'm being honest and a good looking one no, <laughs> I, I wouldn't go that far, but uh, if I'm being honest, it's it's more just um I think that there's a lot of charities out there or uh, organisations, doing things that maybe have a alternative motive um, without slagging people off. I just felt like that um, what you guys were doing was, was good and that it was something that I wanted to align my brand with, that I'd built over the last decade as an athlete. I felt like that um, it was heading in the right direction. I watched a bunch of people um, from distance. I use the app and stuff like that. And I just felt like it was, uh, it was something that I could align myself with that, that fit my values and, and fit my, um, goals, especially now that I've got a gym. So, yeah.
0: Cause you went out, you were ex to our, uh, went to Afghan
1: second of none. Uh,
2: Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Was that legit that they painted the fucking second to one? On the
1: on the or was that just Photoshop? I don't know they got rid nah, of it. I think that got done. Just yeah, a gaff tape yeah. it. What was that we used to gaff tape it? Yeah. No, no. But did you see the, the they painted photo it,
2: I photo going around the internet with um they painted it on the driveway on the way
1: into one around. It's funny now. It's funny now when you sit back, you sit back and you think about the oh fuck one or fuck two or we're gonna paint that donkey or whatever. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> you look back now, you are like, you know, I'm my mid thirties, and I couldn't think of anything fucking worse than painting someone else's workplace. Yeah. I, mean, I don't want to go home to my family. So, yeah. but uh, it's funny. It's funny how all that sort of stuff makes the army what it is. Hundred percent. The rivalry. You go, you go, you go to war the boys across the road, and your fucking best mates. You
2: come home, and you get bored. And you're like, let's just go fucking them for a bit.
1: It's like <laughs> makes it It's like going out in the piss, eh Yeah. It's like you're punching with each other if no one's in the pub. But if someone gets in a punch on with a civvy, then you're all in it together. Yeah. it's so, it's so weird. But that's you know that's that's what makes it great. That's tribalism.
0: Um, because so what was your what, when did you go to Afghanistan? Was your uh, 2007
1: 2008? So um, I went in uh, September 7 come back in April '08.
0: Did you bang it in over there? Was that well, how was the experience over there?
1: Yeah, it was good, man. Um, you know, I like to. I'm one of these people that likes to look on the positive side. I like to think we're pretty lucky, you know, we got winter and um, everyone knows that activity is minimal. Fortunately, I never had had to experience my car getting blown up, um, which I think, you know, we were, I don't know if they've done it since, but we were engineer-led, so we were one infantry company attached to three CER, and I think that was the first time, and everything was, man, that engineer's, were fucking overworked while I was sleeping in the back of those cars, that's for sure. Um, they cleared every road. We pretty much traveled. We would have nine-hour trips just to get to where we were, like, 30 k's up the road where we were building a patrol base. Um, so, yeah, credit to them. They, um, I think they found something like 600 IEDs on our trip. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows how many were alive? Who knows how many were going to blow vehicles up? But... We were fortunate that that's how it was run, um, and that we didn't have to experience some of those things that others did. I remember we um, we took over from one who were on RTF two, and they were telling us about you know blowing wheels off and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, we we were just we were just lucky that um, we didn't have to experience that part, and that the activity was minimal. Although there was it was still existent, you know. Everyone likes to sleep when they're in the snow. Yeah, the mine
2: fuck doesn't disappear, but does it? Because even though you've got less chance of getting in a gunfight, the mines that they laid in summer don't get dug up and pulled back in for winter. They're still out in the
1: road. Yeah, look, I, I, I often talk about my first ever experience. That was the one that, that was real, even though nothing happened. So our first ever patrol was a night patrol. Step off at midnight. And it was literally like from where we were at to the edge of the green zone, sit, and fucking walk back, right? It's pretty simple, just walk through the desert, sit on the grass and then walk back. Um, fuck, I've never been so scared in my life. Like, I was a number one scout, we were the lead section, and it was just five cent, 50 cent the whole time. Oh, because you prepare for the worst. So like, you're on this patrol before you've ever got complacent, your senses your sentences are at their most heightened state, and you're like, for whatever reason, I'm walking through a paddock full of fucking crops, and at any time I feel like I could blow up. I probably couldn't. It was never gonna happen. There's probably no mines there at all. But just the training and the situation just made it feel like that. And um, you know, like lo and behold, two months later I'm getting an eight hours worth of sleep in the back of a bushmaster while everyone else is doing their job. You know, you get you get comfortable. Or whatever, but right at that start, that first patrol, that's that's like your that's your peak, you know. And that I always talk about that experience because even though nothing happened, it was it was just it was weird. It was like everything was real from that moment moving forwards. Um but it never goes away, right? You always you always even though you're like you got your weapon between your legs and your head's on it, you're falling asleep in the back of a car, you're always waiting for fucking something to happen.
2: yeah, hundred percent. The nursery patrols are the worst ones, especially in the first trip. Nursery patrols You've got no fucking idea what you. I no, oh have the mortars, mate. So our our MREs were dropping fake mortars or dropping real mortars. There wasn't a lot of the road move stuff for MREs is not realistic. When you, when you I don't know what it's like now, but it wasn't. Over there. Foot patrol stuff with mortars, we like would put mortars on walk five hundred meters and be like, yeah, you're done. I'm like, cool. Get know, So he's the nursery patrol, and I'm like. No, we didn't really practice this. But you're on edge, mate. And yeah. then, yeah, a couple of months later, so it's like, yeah, complacency. Mate,
0: I 100% think that's why, uh, and especially being with Schwebzy, we took the piss out of everything. And I think towards the end of the trip, I was fucking complacent, mate. I was switched off. I was trying to stay. I don't think complacent, but I was fucking well off walking 14Ks a day in the middle of the heat. And I was just like, you know what? If I stand on so it. Maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't, <laughs> but I won't have to walk this fucking patrol all the way
1: back. I think it's pretty easy to get complacent, you know, like, especially, like, like say, winter, less activity. You still know it can happen. You're still always aware of it. I think it's a subconscious thing to have heightened senses. But, you know, on the surface, it's like, oh, fuck, I'll just have a sleep here. Mm. Who knows yeah. where you're sleeping, you know what I mean? Um I think that's just it's like normal with anything in life and going there was no different um time makes everything go away well it's
0: just normal i think because you you, i mean for me before i joined the army watching hollywood movies with like six soundtracks and special effects i was like "Fuck, it's gonna be like that all the time you get over there there's no soundtrack there's no special you just like
1: well i I guess like the other thing is like um you know we got contacted just before stand two one night and they fucking stand, too, for, like, five hours. And so, like, even though you, your senses are heightened and then you're at war or whatever, I'm like, really? Like, can we just stand? Look, nothing's happened for 20 minutes. So let's just fucking go to bed. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, five hours later, it's 10 p.m. I'm fucking standing in a pit that the excavators have dug, thank God.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, I'm like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, I'm standing here for nothing. They're, like, they're gone. You know what I mean? Like, they're going to shoot me, like, four hours later. And if they do, like... I'll get up then. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like in the first week, I would have been like, nah, "Let's let's stand here for twelve hours," you know. But in the last week, I'm like, "Oh, boys, they are packed it. Let's go to bed," yeah. you know. I think over time things just get easier, you know. and I think you care less, you know. I think
0: so. I think you get desensitized to it um, uh, to a degree.
1: I think I was lucky. I don't have kids, you know. I had a missus. I met her a couple of months earlier. So we were together while we were over there but um I you know i didn't have kids i didn't really give a fuck i was pretty cool that yeah. fucking
2: ruined some of the boys like, haven't i haven't i i'm again like i, I don't think i had a, a a playbook that i was reading from but i broke up with my missus two weeks before we left convenient well deliberately i'm like i don't want this stress in my life I'm going yeah. overseas for because we were more we we're going to be there for eight to nine months mm. i'm like Nah, we're not that tight yet. I've been with her for a few months. I'm like, well, let's just call it because it's not gonna
1: last. I've been with girls my... I with my missus six months. I got engaged three weeks before I went over. Thankfully, um, we're still okay. together, bro. It's been 14 <laughs> years in April. we still together, there, It's eh? been oh, 14 God. years in April. So um, she's a good egg. Um, she she made she made damn sure because my mates are making plenty of jokes about her taking me for a ride. You know, like the the normal shit you deploy you make 80 grand tax free you come home and it's all gone or there's yeah, a pool in your backyard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the the backyard that you rent. So um it's it's like that's that's a true story by the way. Oh, we that next yeah. I heard it. Yeah, there's a there was a there was a chick that surprised her partner with a pool in the backyard but it was actually a rental so it was a DHA house mate.
2: <laughs> and she's um, like, "Oh honey, did you, did you know that story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So, oh, uh, thankfully the owner of the house I think reimbursed him and and money back or something like that but yeah that's a fucking fuck up. probably should get rid of that woman but anyway um it's uh you know there's there's lots of horror stories and my mates give me a hard time you know i've been with my missus i think i deployed in deployed end of september i'd been with her probably like five and a half nearly six months when i actually left and um you go and do your will you know you're fucking 21 years old i don't have a will i don't even own anything like anyone can have my tv it doesn't matter but um but, you know, you're going to have money in the bank when you come back while you're away. So if anything happens, you've got to have your will in place. And I went to do that. She's like, fucking, don't you put my name on anything. Make sure you, you know, I had my mum's name on everything. Um, I had a rental property. My mum's mom, my name was on that. Um, so she made the best, her best effort to disengage herself from everything. They gave her any financial benefit should anything happen to me. And kudos to her, man. That's That's a pretty a pretty good thing to do yeah it's a good sign um so come back and uh oh well we've got a kid now so she's going yeah. nowhere bro <laughs> <laughs> no, the,
2: the flip side was the boys that went over with miss and this is all i was thinking about when i broke up with this chick the boys went overseas and they were going on like patrols all day potentially getting fucking IED or shot at, coming back in, ringing their missus and having a fucking argument. I'm yeah, like, bro. You don't yeah. need that in your life. <laughs> yeah, we,
1: we had a few, like, you know, mishaps here and there on the phone, but at the end of the day, you know, they're stressed, you're stressed. Yeah. That's like what it is. Call back later. Yeah. Get off the
0: phone. Talk uh, to you me. in three days. We had a few times, mate. I, one of our medics was literally doing the same thing, literally just got on a, a, a big tick and then he's like, Gets back, Mrs. Blows up like, "Yeah, I'm fucking leaving you," and he's like, "I'm kind of busy right now." I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm like "Oh, off you fucking go, mate!" Like, yeah, it's, fucking...
1: it's just one of those things, you know? I'd... Yeah, it's fucking weird. I don't, I think some people like in your situations, for instance, it's you know, it's not a bad thing. I think like I often look back and think that me and my Mrs. could have done things different. Like two months before I deployed, we moved in together. Fucking paid rent and phone bills while I was away. Like, what for? For nothing, really. She was living somewhere, and I was living on base, and we moved in together because we wanted to live together. But, but we should have waited like eight more months. You know, there's there's things you can do better. But um, I think that you know, um if there's something there and you're together, and that's that's the way it is, or like you're connected. Well,
0: nobody knew what the fuck. Like you're saying, like you shouldn't like. Snake should have known better, but we didn't deploy. You, were doing, you did RTF-2, right? Three, yeah. Three, so... Well, sorry, what year was that?
2: 2007. 2007.
0: Yeah.
1: So it was only the third rotation. So we, over yeah. People had gone to Timor, mate.
2: And we'd been in the Army for, what, a year and a half? Bro, a year, I joined you the Army family?
1: August 2006. 21st, 2006, yeah. and September 28th, 2007,
2: I was in, in the Middle East. Ah, so, I was lucky I went straight from... Um, when we finished all your cheese, you went to team, team right. right? yeah so I that's remember that. that's a little bit more of a slow like step up
1: Well, still peacekeeping at that time mm. not too bad
2: yeah the, i mean there was it Whereas was just we, after we hit, that like six that third hour,
1: rotation like... you know like they would only been five seven and then one and then two like that yeah. was the only rotations that had been over there it was um a bit different to Fucking the last rotation was still a bit like the last, yeah. You know, um, MRTF and that. They went over there. Patrol bases were built. We did the hard work. So yeah,
2: hundred percent. I heard the stories as it slowly escalated. Like the one arrow boys that were there just before were (laughs) telling stories to our trip when we went over about what it was going to be like. And we got over Mm -hmm. there, like they were they were still sleeping in fucking shell scrapes. I'm like, yeah, it's beds in
1: (laughs) there, boys. Or when we went there, we were sleeping in like felt lagers shipping containers. Yeah. four shipping containers, but, um, in bunks and we had some good sigs over there. So we, uh, we wired them all up and played Call of Duty on our days off. Good. 12 on 12, max player. And, uh, I, um, I didn't know how to gamble before I went to the middle. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know anything but fish and snap, but, uh, I left, I left, um, Afghan knowing how to play fucking poker. That's for sure. Um, which was good and bad. But, um, you know, downtime's playing cards and throwing US dollars on the table and um, playing Call of Duty and then it's all on otherwise. So it's pretty cool.
0: So you get back from, from the again, and then you stay in or you got out or nah. what's the transition into punching uh-huh. people in the face for a living?
1: <laughs> so I, um, I did martial arts as a kid. And then um, by the time I had deployed, it was probably like four or five weeks before the end of my deployment, I, um, I slid, I can't even remember now, but I slid down a fucking slope, rolled my ankle, got um, some scans done over there, They're like, oh, your trip's almost over, just stay here. Um, still walking around and doing whatnot, but I just did some local patrols. And then um, when I got home, I had some leave, and then I had an ankle surgery straight away um had a rico done and um after that i was like uh, fuck i was kind of just over infantry you know just that just shit you know like when you when you're not outfield you're not deployed you should be at home with your family if you ask me Mm -hmm. um you know um i feel for the guys that have got kids that never see their kids but you know that's that's the job we choose um and i was kind of over it um so I was doing my rehab, and I was going to the gym all the time. The two, yeah, obviously, the two Italians had their own gyms there, so I was going to the gym all the time. And we got to know the PDI there pretty good. Uh, he got me on a CFL course. Um, I decided that I wanted to be a PDI. I got me on a CFL course. I thought the fuck. Would you be? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. You well, well, I well. you're an MP, mate. That's no, That is actually. It's interesting you brought that up, but um, I've had <clears> more coffee dates. Then you've had morning workouts, mate. Trust me. <laughs> um, and mine were all paid for. So, um, <laughs> so it's interesting that you that you brought that up. But I, um, you know, I went did my CFL course. I think I finished second. You know, they do the student emerita. It's right under that. And uh, when you do your CFL course, like I guess a few of the courses you need when you transfer to different um, courses in the army, you need um, you need to finish, and then you get a recommendation. And so with the PDI, some some will just get you know recommended for unit PTs, some will get um, recommended for OJTs and potential PDI course, and then some will get recommended for, so some mine was something along the lines of recommended for the next available PDI course. So I'll go back to the um, to battalion after that course. I did a sub one junior leaders course that they give to everyone now. Um, it's a gift, yeah. And uh, I did that, and that's the two courses you need to transfer, and then I just had to buy my time. And thankfully, um, Kingy, from the from the gym the pdi there he got me transferred from like i was in i think it was like delta company or something but it's like the rehab platoon because rehab my ankle and then everyone had gone to timor and so i was like oh fuck i'll get these courses done while everyone's in timor so i think that kind of helped me then when i finished my courses he um he got me changed to ops and i worked out of the ops and um just worked in the gym for six months till the next course came up, just took PT courses, uh, PT sessions and cleaned the gym. And um, pretty sure I just wanted to bitch for a bit. So I just cleaned up after him and we worked out every day and fucking had fun, man. And um, in that time, after my surgery, uh, while I was rehabbing. Shh, <clears throat> don't tell him. While I was doing a rehab and I was back downgraded, I was kickboxing. Oh yeah, it's good for your ankle rehab, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I was working on my mobility. Uh, in my ankle, <laughs> um, focused on my boxing, uh, but you know, I I didn't know like really. I was 22. I was uh, eat whatever the fuck I wanted. You know, there's a KFC outside of base. You used to sell out a chicken, mm. bro. You know, <laughs> so um, I eat whatever I wanted, uh, do whatever I wanted, and then all of a sudden, I'm 12 weeks on the lounge, and I put 13 kilos on. And I'm not educated in the sense that I played sport my whole life, did martial arts my whole life, played rugby. But I'm not educated on how to eat right, you know. I'm not eating kangaroo sausages and broccoli and covering it in avocado or olive oil. I was literally eating McDonald's and fucking washing it down with Doritos and maybe a few beers in there. Um, And I needed some guidance. Uh, That's not not really in the Army. So I reached out to um, Ian Bone. Who, you know, so Boner. I was going to ask if he was influence. So I reached out to Boner. He um he obviously, um instructed on our OET course, but then he discharged, and he was fighting, and he was um coaching at one of the local gyms. And I said, look, man, you know I need, I need help. Fucking don't know how to eat right. Don't know how to train right. I've been lifting weights every day, chest and triceps, back and biceps, shoulders and legs, six days a week. That's all I do, you know. And uh, Stand army work, yeah, chest tries back and by, shoulders and legs, <laughs> three day split twice a week. Yeah, um, that's what I was doing, but I was doing no cardio, so it wasn't really helping me. Um, and uh, and he he, he like wrote this A4 piece of paper, man, it was a blank sheet of paper, and it was like I can still remember it breakfast, eggs, avocado, morning tea after you work out. Green apple, protein shake, lunch, go to the mess, eat chicken and as much salad as you want. Being army, he knew it was at the mess. Mm. Can't even lie to him, right? Afternoon tea, banana and apple, protein shake, dinner, before you work out, was chicken and green vegetables only. And that's fucking what I ate, man, for like 16 weeks. I joined the army at eighty-seven. I came out of Kapooka at seventy-eight. I started training with him at ninety-eight and 16 or 18 weeks later, or 75. <sighs> so, lightest I've been since I was like 17 years old, um, and then uh, I guess like you could say MMA spiraled from there. You know, that was that was the start of it. I went to him to help me. I knew what he was like. You know, he's he just doesn't take shit. He'll see right through it. He'll tell you how it is. I went to him. I did kickboxing five nights a week, and I did. Chest and trials, back and forth, shoulders and legs, six days a week. <laughs> and uh, nothing changed. And yeah, man, that's that's what happened, you know. And, and that was like, when, when you're nearly 98 kilos in my frame, you're not running. You know, like the idea of going for a run to pass your BFA, is, it just hurts. Do kickboxing, it's not running, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, you need to find another way to achieve the same goal, which is to burn a certain amount of calories in a short period of time. And so... For me, kickboxing was it because I'd done martial arts as a kid, and it made sense, and it was easy, and even being, you know, overweight, it was, it wasn't daunting, you know, for most people it's daunting, but I'd been there and done it, so it was easy, and that's, um, then I had a couple of kickboxing fights, and he taught me into doing jiu-jitsu, which at the time seemed like a very ridiculous thing to do, um, rolling around the ground with another man, but, um... I did it and I had a fight about six weeks later. And um, being an infantry soldier, you're 10 foot tall and bulletproof and prepared for the worst in your life. And this fucking guy dismantled me like I was a 12 year old kid, man. (laughs) It was, um, you know, we talked about it. We're like, keep it on the feet, kickbox with him, keep distance, you'll be right. He's a brown belt and shit, so he's just going to try and take you down and submit you. Now, knowing what I know now, man, fuck, I should never have had that fight. <laughs> um, he, um, there's one thing you don't do in a fight, and that's pull guard and spend time on your back. But um, to my credit, I was striking well. I lasted probably two minutes, and then he fucking jumped guard, hit me with a sweep on the way down, got in the mount, I punched off my back, which you never do either. And then he submitted me with an armbar, yeah. and it was like all in the space of 30 seconds, I went from being 10 foot tall and bulletproof to being buried, and um, it was crazy. And uh, I switched my training from five nights kickboxing to five nights jiu-jitsu and two nights kickboxing, and about and that was an amateur fight. And about four months later, after that, I had my first pro fight, and I went six and zero in, in MMA as a pro initially. And that's, that's where the addiction started and chasing the UFC started. And um, here we are today talking about it. So, yeah, that's that's the story.
0: How do you go about getting into the UFC? You get managers and...
1: Um, some guys don't have managers. But you just need to have the contacts. Um, you know, I had the contacts with the guys at the UFC. Um, but if you've got a manager who, who manages other athletes, then... you of like they're like a trusted source you know what i mean any athlete can reach out to a matchmaker but the matchmaker would be like oh fucking fuck this guy kind mm. of thing but if you've got a manager who's got three other athletes in there then they've already got a relationship they're going to trust that that person's bringing in someone who can actually fight um everyone wants to be in the UFC, so they probably get three four thousand emails a day of athletes going oh you know you can have my services it's mm. like trying to get an nrl There's like q cup and new south wales cup and oh, yeah whatever they call it in New South Wales. I don't pay too much attention to New South Wales. So no, whatever they call it down there. No. Oh, fuck.
2: Mate, I gave up there. on NRL in New South Wales about, what, nine years ago the last time they won? No, no,
0: I don't know. I don't know um, what the... But, the, yeah, the so,
1: are. you know, there's like thousands of people trying to get into it. So I was lucky. Um, well, again, it's it's like I travelled the world for some guys in their backyards in Dublin and England and stuff like that, and I lost some close decisions. And I come home and I was 10 wins, eight losses. And everyone knows in the UFC, you need like what to get in MMA to get in the UFC, you need a sort of like a 60 to 70% win record. Well, they're not gonna look at you. You also need to be coming off wins. They're not interested if you're not coming off wins. They don't care if you're 15 and one, but your last fight was a loss. They're mm-hmm. like, nah, doesn't matter, right? You've gotta be coming off wins and you need to have a winning record, like a, a good percentage winning record. I sat down with my wife. I said, "Fuck! I'm I'm ten and eight. I'm never getting there." So uh, I said, "When I lose, I will retire." And, and I remember she she said to me, because we used to we used to uh, have <clears throat> friendly discussions all the time about my career choices, and um, she said, "Don't you put that on me?" And I said, "I'm I'm not putting anything on you. Like I, I literally made my own decision." When I lose again, I'm a, I'm a realistic person, right? I know I've got to buy a house. I want to have kids. I need to support my family. I need to do all these things that are right. But there's something in me that tells me I can't give up. So I, was, I said, that's that's my decision, not yours. It's not because of you. I'm just not going to be 10 and 9 and try and get to you. So I'm not going to be 10 and 10 and go, fuck, i still got hope, you know? So I said, when I lose again, I'll, I'll throw it in. I'll hang them up. I'll just train for fun. I'll go get a job and... Uh, I'll just work, you know what I mean. Which there's nothing wrong with the guys. just, but th- as an athlete, it was like the worst case scenario. And so I, um, I won five straight and signed with the UFC. So that's how it happened. Um, I don't know, I don't know what it was. I think psychology, um, always wanted to be in the UFC so bad that every fight was about the end goal, and you lose focus on what's happening there and then. Um, that could be a bit of it. Um, whereas I, when I got to that point where I, I drew a line in the sand, I think it was, it was like, oh, well, I can't lose this one. So it forced me to think about what was going on at that time. Um, and, yeah, I just took it fight by fight until I got there. Um, UFC called uh, the guy that got me the contract, Justin Lawrence. He, um, he was the former owner of XFC. I started working with him. I won his belt. Um, in my first win out of those five, I won the belt there, I fought this Kiwi fellow and broke my hand and um, I had surgery 10, 10 days later, compound fracture in my hand in the first round and I won a decision and then... you
0: keep punching him in the face while you were with a broken
1: hand. Yeah. Yeah, good. No, we're not <laughs> We're not necessarily the smartest, I mean... I'm well, bloke aren't, who does. Aren't that smart. for
2: ankle rehab, mate. I'm pretty sure it would have phased him. Well,
1: you're a grunt too, bro. They're not that smart. Right? <laughs> Just remember it's year 10. Um, so we're not known for being the most intelligent, but but um yeah, we definitely, um you know, I knew it was broken, but I picked my shots after that, but I landed some clean right hands, but there's nothing in it to knock anyone out. It was in so much pain. It was more it because it was instinct. It was like, oh, there's a hole there. I'll hit that, but hurt every time but we won a decision that was against shane young he's in the ufc now um good good young guy super respectful i cornered him in his next fight um helped helped corner him with his coach in his next fight held the bucket i think i probably just said i held the bucket as a water boy for him but um really respectful guy um and i won, I won a australian title in that fight my first ever australian title and then i fought um a year later, almost to the date, I fought another Kiwi fella, a uh, Navy diver from New Zealand, and um, knocked him out in the third round. And because I'd won the belt, then defended it, so I had two titles from that promotion, the guy that owned it was in contact with the UFC, and they reached out to find someone to fill in for Abel Trujillo, who had some visa issues, for the Brisbane card lock three weeks later. Um, after the fight that I had. They reached out about seven days out and I was working at the jail and um, I remember my missus rang me and I thought, this is fucking weird because you need to ring through to a control center and then get put through to me. And so I was always like, don't ever ring me at work unless it's an emergency. Send me a text or a blog when I get back in the car. And um, I get this fucking phone call and they're like, oh, your missus is on the phone. I was like, oh no. Worst case scenario, right? What's happened? And she just goes, oh, hey, listen, Justin Lawrence rang me. Something to do with the UFC. wants you to ring him. Here's his number. I rang him back. He said, do you want to fight next Saturday? And I was like, what kind of questions that? And, uh, and the next question he said was, can you make weight? And I said, of course I can make weight. I've never missed. And he said, yeah, that's what I thought. I've already said yes for you. the Contracts are coming through. I literally printed my UFC contracts and everything out at work, signed them and sent them back to him from the jail. Um, from the from, you know, I scanned them at work and emailed them back, and that's when I signed with mm. USC. Um, how
0: much weight did you have to cut in well, seven days?
1: It's funny because I instantly switched my mindset to how do I get rid of those two meat pies that I just ate. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I was just I was just, uh, you know I fought a few weeks earlier, so I was still like, in a bit of a downtime kind of situation where for the first two weeks I was like, yep, I'm going to stay in shape, stay ready. I'll be around 80 kilos. I can sort of cut 10 in a week. And it's all water cut, so it's not. There's like a silence to that, so it's not ten kilos. It's just taking water out. But I um I thought oh, I can still make weight, so I'll, I'll be sweet. And um and then I got about two weeks out from it, or a week and a half out. and I was like, God, oh, fucking never ring me now. So it was like a Friday night, smashed a pizza, drank some beers, watched a footy. I think that was like a warm up game because it was March, and then um the saturday i went to work for a 12-hour shift i ate a brekkie roll on the way to work i was at work just drinking coffees with the boys and then i went and had a couple of meat pies for lunch at the mess um and yeah fucking probably about 1 p.m he rang me and he's like oh i rang him back and he said you're in so um i had two tins of tuna in my bag and that's what i ate for the rest of the day and then I ate tuna and avocado for the rest of the week. like um, six tins of tuna a day with avocado and drank like 10 liters of water a day. I cut 12.8 kilos, and I may <laughs> wait. Um, like I told him I would, uh, it's, a, it's a crazy story in itself, man. Um, I cut weight for about, so obviously I got down to about 5.9 kilos to go by the time I got 24 hours out from 12.8. And um, I remember my my teammate saying to me, fuck, bro, that's awesome. Like, you cut this in 24 hours all the time. And I'm like, yeah, but I didn't lose six kilos of weight. I lost water in that as well. So I said to him, I'm I'm kind of dehydrated already. He was like, oh, yeah, that's true. So that morning... Of the weigh-ins was uh, Saturday morning and on the Friday morning I went and jumped in the sauna, I cut like three kilos. I thought, fuck, this is all right. came out pretty easy. So I, I relaxed the rest of the day and then um at night I was sorta of confident it would come off but kinda of shitting myself at the same time that it wouldn't. I didn't want to be that guy that misses weight. Look, like, I always pride myself on being a professional. Missing weight wasn't an option. Um, what was, are the ramifications for missing make weight? weight or go to hospital? That was my mentality, right? Mm. And which is a shit mentality, but it's, that's that's my mentality. I'm a professional. I make weight or I go to hospital. Twenty percent, bro. I would have lost like I could paid ten grand for my first fight. I would have lost two thousand dollars, not much, considering I'd already set my sights on making weight or going to hospital. Two grand's nothing. But the but the UFC take it kind of personal so it's like if you miss weight it's it's like a kick in the guts for them um and a lot of guys will do that on their first fight they'll take the fight miss weight pay the pay the 20 percent fight and then know that they're gonna get another chance but i just that wasn't me i just couldn't do it so i um i said my teammate let's fucking go and start cutting weight now so it was like probably nine o'clock at night i went up to the sauna Jumped in the sauna, jumped back in the jacuzzi, jumped in the sauna, jumped back in, jumped in the sauna. After that, for about two hours, I was like, fucking, got down to about uh, 1.2 kilos, just over a kilo to go. I said him, let's change, because you sauna or bath in you know, a hot bath, there's like ways to do it. I said, let's change from the sauna and go to the bath, because the different stimulus for the body will mix it up. So we go down, man, it's like midnight. At 4 a.m., I still had 400 grams to go. I'd been going in and out of a hot bath and wrapped myself in a sauna suit under towels and blankets for four hours. And I was laying in my hotel room. I'm under everything. I'm looking up at him, and I go, bro, I've never felt like this before. You need to call the ambulance. And, uh, and he looked down at me, and he goes, it's all right, man. I got you. We know first aid. <laughs> That's-
0: <laughs> he'll love
1: it he'll love it but we tell the story all the time it's funny as bro we got ya we know first aid so there was two of them there um helping throughout the night one of them was staying with me in the hotel and helped me cut weight the other one came in to help just for the weight cut and I was like instantly man I was at peace like that's trust right <laughs> first aid is not gonna say shit when you're taking 13 kilos yeah, of fucking water and fat of steak bites. yeah um <laughs> You know, and uh, but it was crazy, man. You know, I, I, I like to think <laughs> I, I just get into a mindset where I'm like, no, nah, I've got to do it. I don't complain about it. When he said to me on a timer, he goes, "Okay, back in the bath." I'm back. I crawl back to the bath. I will get in. When he says, "Get out," I get out. He drives me off. We get in a sauna suit. We lay down. I lay there for an hour, and I just do it as he was telling me. And then when he said to me, "I know first aid," instantly I was like, "Okay, okay I'm alright then." <laughs> and uh, and then um he just said look man you've been awake for 16 hours i think we should have an hour's sleep and then we'll wake up and cut the rest of it i had to be on the bus at seven so i was like oh, okay no worries so i tried to sleep for an hour which could have just been me passing out for an hour because was pretty wrecked and um we woke up and uh and he said let's go check our weight we went and checked our weight the scars are gone i was like "Fuck!" so i went back up to the sauna and uh, he went and got all my shit for my weigh-in because you have to wear Reebok stuff and stuff um, to meet the requirements of the UFC and their sponsorship. So he went up to get all my stuff, which was already patched because I got OCD. So I was all ready to go, stacked. How I had to wear it. And um, and we, he went to get my sauna suit and I was in the sauna and I sat in the sauna for an hour. And um, we knew that I had 400 grams to go. I sat there for an hour and then... We, we went back, and he had to get something out of the room. So I laid outside the check-in area where you check in at a desk and you go through. The scales are in there. I was laying on the ground, half dead, and he goes, "I'll be back in a sec." So he goes up. By the time he came back, I checked myself in and stripped off. I jumped on the scales, and I was fucking like 0.2 of a pound underweight. I was like, "Yes, I made it!" <laughs> like it was the worst experience of my entire fighting career, um, but. I made weight and it was like the biggest relief. And then I had an hour bus ride to the weigh-ins and I remember slipping in and out of consciousness in the bus. It was, um, you know, I don't ever recommend it. I don't let my guys cut weight like that. Um, But you know that it's the fastest growing sport in the world. And with that comes, you know, science and studies and everything else. And there's guys out there like the fight dietitian now that help guys cut weight safely. Um, there was things i did like i reached out to it to a nutritionist and she told me to do certain things for that cut that week that didn't make sense and wouldn't make sense now um you know at the end of the day i made the weight i probably did like a lifetime's worth of damage to my body doing it but i made weight and for me i can sleep at night knowing that i remain professional and i remain a man of my word um so and
0: then what do you expect to put you put it all
1: back on within that 24 hours could could you bag up back then no so when i when i went to the ufc i think it was like six months prior they banned ivs um but it was only just um so yeah you couldn't iv whereas guys used to guys used to cut extreme amounts of weight in iv but you couldn't so i'd stopped i used to but i'd stopped doing it the last couple of fights prior to the UFC because that's where I wanted to be. And I was like, if I'm, if I'm bagging up before I get there and then I get there and I can't do it, how do I perform? Mm-hmm. So I stopped doing that because that was my goal. Um, but yeah, unfortunately for me, um, the old combat first aid course, I used to bag myself. <laughs> so um, I go to the, raid the training store, the training room. Get all the out of date IVs and they're still good, mate. They're still good. That's just all. There's just the date's just a guide, bro. Like, I have never yeah. got sick from it's it. It's like milk. Well, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> um, if it's, yeah, I guess if it's not chunky, it's good, eh? Wow, it's just um, fermented yogurt, isn't it? I don't know. So, That's yeah. your get there, <laughs> mate. I don't know. I don't so know. How you, did you guys get, have how lost put me. It back on? How do you put it back on? But, man, I just, um, I drank water and drank. I can power aids and Hydrolyte, and I was sick for hours. And But I got it back on. I was probably 78 kilos the next night, um, which is about what I want to be when I fight mostly, somewhere between 77 and 78. So I try. normally what I would try to do is you don't want to take any more than 10% out during fight week, 5% out in the last 24 hours. That's like a, a good guide. So normally I'd go into fight week around 78, and then I weigh in at 70.8, so I take about 7.2 kilos out. And then I, the last 24 hours, I want to be somewhere around 73, 74, and that's a real easy cut, a few kilos in the sauna. Um, but um, then I just pop back up to my start, at whatever you're going to fight week at is what you should enter the cage at. Um, so you get,
2: what's it, 24 hours? You, you weigh in, then you've got 24 hours
1: to so fight? Yeah, roughly, about yeah. That. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, so. Do many fucking people die cutting? Um, I think, um, sure. I think they've had they had one in one FC, so that's why one FC changed it to hydration testing and no water cutting. So they changed their weight classes. So basically, what they did was they took the names of the weight classes and moved them all up one. So like seventy point eight was lightweight, and seventy seven was welterweight. Now seventy seven became lightweight. So that forced anyone who was already a lightweight stay a lightweight by name, but they just went up a weight class. Um, so every lightweight went up a weight class.
2: So is, is the argument not, at the moment, if everybody's doing the same card and everybody's putting weight back on the next day, why don't you weigh them 20 minutes before the fight and everyone's just walk around at their fucking fighting weight?
1: Because fighters always look for a way to cheat or a way to get an advantage. That's the athletic. Oh, 100%. That's, like, there's, a, there's weighing... that's like an athlete mentality is how do I get an advantage? the jockey after the race right <laughs> weigh so what in they do as is as they go in the cage yeah so what they do with fighters now is you weigh in 24 hours earlier then you weigh in when you get to the event and then you weigh in after the event in the UFC when they, well, they've got like the the ability to do that a lot of the local shows don't have the ability to do that yeah, but i know like one of the local shows now they weigh you at the event so they can get a gauge of how much you cut and how much you put back on mm. and then they just put things in place to say listen Man, last time you you weighed in at 70 and you weighed 84 on fight night you're not fighting at 70 anymore. <laughs> and you killed a kid <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know so that's that the ufc's been doing it for a few years now because i think last like 2017 when i was fighting for them they, they started doing that and it's just all they did initially was they were just calculating data you know they were just trying to find out how much people were weighing in at how much they're putting on and what they weighed after the fight to see how much they would lose in the fight um, and then from that there was a few guys like um, Drew Dover who fights in the UFC he uh, he cuts like 30 pounds during five week man so he he goes into fight week at 83 kilos weighs in at 70.8 and fights at 83 kilos so that's the same weight class I was in and I get back to 78 so that guy's still got a five kilo advantage so there's guys that can do that, you know. As far as weight cutting goes, the more muscle you got, the more water you can remove because the more glycogen holds the more water. So, um, yeah, the, the more muscular guys are, the more weight they can cut. So they actually have an advantage probably in strength and size. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's... That's a, the science part that I don't understand. It's a crazy like, world, man. From what I
2: understand, like, how, how does how does having extra water weight extra well i guess if you got muscle then yeah i get
1: so if you've got muscle then you hold more water so you can take more water out so on fight night when you both put your water back in and you're back at your sides the water becomes irrelevant because you've yeah. actually got five kilos more moment. body mass yeah. so um but i don't know man like i like fighting in Japan and i like the old school no weight no weight classes like if I had my way, I'd have an open weight fight before I finish my career, but COVID wrecked any chance of that. Because yeah. Japan's about the only place yeah. that'll let you fight a guy that's 140 kilos. So that's where you went after the UFC? You went to Rizin, yeah, yeah, Risen, I'll say rising, yeah, tomatoes, I say Rizin. Yeah, I see you put that
2: stuff up on socials. Man, There's some good. I fight, love it for
1: The best thing about Japan, like, um, and I got a highlighting moment actually that illustrates it. But the best thing about Japan is it's a samurai culture so they just they love martial artists so when you go there like you don't even need to be conor mcgregor you get treated like it people are lined up at the lift waiting for you to sign their shit and take photos i spent an hour and a half um so you know like the stadium's got all these levels and you go out and get a drink or whatever i spent like fucking an hour and a half and my team's standing there next to me laughing at me um because i'm just taking photos and there was but like i swear like when one when one was taking a photo two were lining up This fucking line went like it must have went around the stadium at one stage if you put them all there. And, um, but I love it. It's like, um, like Ian was with me at the time and he said to me, This shit doesn't last forever. Sign every single piece of paper they give you and take a photo with every single person that wants a photo. Because this shit will be over in two years' time. And, um, he always says a lot of cool stuff that makes sense. He's the master of being humble. I didn't get he, to know him that well. But he, he was... says a lot of fucking cool shit yeah. that, that makes sense. And while well, I was there and I was like, man, I'm I'm like an hour into taking photos these people. My feet are getting sore. I just came out here for a drink. Mm. Um and he's like, Man, this literally this shit doesn't last forever. You need to you need to make the most of this. And um, you know, I'm I'm always humble and respectful like that and I would have stood there anyway, but it's nice to have someone in your ear that just puts it in perspective. But yeah, they really treat you like they treat you like a martial artist, like a like a king. And so I really like that. Um, And uh, don't get me wrong, I like the UFC and I like the um, I like uh, performing in front of noisy crowds. And crowds get me going. And the louder the crowd, the less I think about my game plan, and the more I just stand there and brawl. Mm. which is a run and joke between me and a couple of my teammates. So they start whispering, sparring, they start making crowd noises because they know I'm just gonna brawl. Um, so it's it's always a run and joke. But um, I was over getting ready for the Darren Crookshank fight. I think I think it was a crookshank fight. It could have been it could have been the next one. But I'm pretty sure it was a crookshank fight. Three thousand people. You can hear a pin drop, man. Um, Japanese MMA crowds like golf crowds yeah, right. like you do you, like someone does something awesome and you hear this like <laughs> it's like this little patter clap you know what i mean um and so it's it's really it's like a real respectful thing and like there's kids in the crowd like there'll be families watching martial arts over there with like a three-year-old asleep on the chair next to them Lucky. it's literally it's like part of their culture they just love it and um I, I've, I've done me walk to the ring i climbed in the ring and I hear this, fucking get him, Brownie. <laughs> fucking get him. And I was like, what the fuck is that? And I turn around and a stadium of 30,000 people, there's two drunk Aussies about 14 rows back, and they're just hurling shit at me. <laughs> fucking get him, Brownie. And I was like, that's the difference between the Western culture in combat sports. It's just bloodthirsty. Yeah. Like, knock him out, like. Stop them from hugging on the ground, ref. Stand them up. And then the Japanese culture where they can appreciate someone putting their hand in a good spot because they understand the martial arts of it. You know what I mean? Um, and, you know, it's the difference between a, a boxing crowd and a golf crowd. Mm. You know, they can appreciate the shot. That's what they clap at. They don't need to scream punching because they know it's coming and they can understand how it was set up. and. Yeah. So I really, I really like fighting in Japan. It's, it's different. Um, it's a different experience than anywhere else in the world, and I think anyone in combat sports should really strive to experience that at least once. So, what's the? Do you
0: take much damage? Do you feel different after a fight? I've never been in a fucking UFC fight, mate. I've been in pub worlds, but yeah. did you feel different Day in, afterwards? day out. Did you feel different afterwards? Well, it depends on how many times I block with my fucking head, I suppose.
1: But, uh, yeah, man, yeah. Usually because you just got thrown out, eh? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, like, they all vary, you know. Like, if you have a fight, so I never threw up after any of my fights or before uh, for the first six, you know, I was 6 and and Like I always say, 10-foot tall and bulletproof, no fear. I was young. And then um, I had this fight that... I always think that it was because the fight wasn't over. Like it was stopped by the by the corner through the towel end, which is really rare in MMA. But, um,
0: their corner or your corner?
1: uh, Their corner through the towel end, and um, I beat the fucking shit out of this guy, and there was cuts and blood and it was it was filthy. But I went straight out the back, man. I sat over the toilet and just power speared for like fifteen minutes. And I think it was just adrenaline, but it was was like the fight wasn't over in my head. Like I was still going, you know? Um, Whereas when you sub someone, it's kind of like the fight's over, you have an adrenaline spike and then you calm down. But it was like, I didn't see the ending and just stopped. Anyway, ever since that fight, now I get nervous. So they always say nerves are good. I never used to get them. But um, after that fight, um, you know, now, i've got this process where i understand where the nerves are going to do and where they're going to go and what's going to happen and i wrap my hands my palms get sweaty and then i know that i'm getting ready for a fight and then i warm up and then about 20 minutes before me fight, i go to the toilet and i just belch and dry reach just like and like nothing comes up my whole body cramps and it's almost like my muscles like the adrenaline or something's going through them Mm. and everything cramps and then I'm like, I'm good. I walk out and my coach will be like, you're good? I'm like, yeah, I'm sweet. They know that I've just been in there doing that. And then they know that it's like now part of my it's now part of my routine. Like I could just belch and dry reach. And then I'll walk, to, um, I'll walk to backstage ready to go. And I'll do it again three or four times. And i choke on my mouth guard. And um, they go, you good? I'm like, yep. i they're like, yep, sweet. He's good to go. <laughs> <laughs> it's like part of my routine now. So... Um, And then after the fights, it just really depends, man. Like, my fight in Sydney, um, when I fought Frank Camacho and we won fight of the night um, at UFC Sydney, I had all these good intentions on going to a cocktail bar and just drinking whiskey all night. And um, I sat in the lobby of the hotel. um, Numb. Like, just numb. Like... I didn't have any emotions, I had no feelings, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't stay awake. It was like the fucking weirdest feeling ever. So every, every single fight feels different. Um, every, there's no one feeling that you get after each fight. Uh, funny enough, I didn't take any damage, whereas the fight in Melbourne, which was the one before that, yeah. Um, I broke, my, broke both orbital walls, so I broke the orbital walls in both eye sockets, broke my nose and broke my uh, snap of tens in my wrist. So I did uh, one eye socket and my nose in the first round. I did uh, my wrist in the second round and my other eye socket in the third round. And I won a split decision and I went backstage They put me in an ambulance, took me straight to the hospital. Four hours later, they operated on my nose. Um, they didn't find anything wrong with my wrist until six weeks later when the swelling went down they realized that the tendons were snapped. Um, but I couldn't pick up a paper cup at work and drink a coffee because it was too heavy for my, like, I had so much pain. But I had scans three times in that six weeks and in the end it wasn't actually the scans that picked it up. I asked to go to a specialist and I went to a specialist and he told me that I'd done it and he sent me for some other scans and specifically because he was a uh, upper limb specialist he uh, he sent me for a scan and then requested the uh, I guess the radiographer, whoever writes the reports, requested for them to look for a specific thing and so when they looked for it they found it um, and so that was all in one fight and then after the fight when I had surgery on my nose um, thankfully the orbital bones were all in place so nothing needed to be reconstructed there, they just reconstructed the nose um, through the cut that was in it and I said to the doctor, um, I want to get out tonight, I'm staying at the Crown, and I want to go back to see my family. Um, Flying home tomorrow, can I fly? And he said, yeah, right, no. I so, operated at six and at 9 p.m. I was at the casino, seeing my family, eating dinner. Yeah, I was happy, uh, high on life, cloud nine, fucking crazy injuries, most amount of pain I've ever experienced. And then, like, when the next fight, Goes three rounds, we punch a shit out of each other. Not an injury in sight, but I'm numb, can't feel a thing. It's, it's like, not it's it's never predictable. Do you know what I mean? Like, I never make plans for after my fights because I don't know how I'm going to feel. My my wife never travels with me because I don't know if I'm going to be able to walk the next day. So if I can't walk the next day because I've broken a foot, which I've done twice, then there's no point coming for a holiday and having a week after. You know, I could have taken her to. Dublin. We spend a week in Dublin afterwards. There's no point doing that because I don't fucking walk around afterwards. So it's never predictable. Um, 95% of the time there's nothing wrong with me. The other 5%, I don't know, sometimes you get injuries, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you just don't feel like doing anything and you you have an adrenaline dump and you just want to go home. Does the, does the
2: promoter pay for it? Look, is UFC obviously... The UFC's got acute for
1: injury trouble? insurance, so before the fight, you actually sign this document and pretty much anything that happens within 30 days, they'll pay for
2: And what about the other ones? Like, what about Ryzen and the Dublin fights?
1: Look, the thing is, like, if something happens, they'll send you for medical treatment and they'll cover you, but um, they'll cover you to get it fixed. But it's like, you know, when I fought for Cage Warriors, like, England's got a good medical system. So if you get fucked up you can just go to the hospital same as australia and they treat you um that treat you and then they send you home uh, most of the promotions if you you know say look fortunately it never happened but say something happens in england i need to stay there for three weeks most of the time the promotion will look after you they're not going to leave you stuck in england without okay. probation you know most of those promotions would be like okay well you know we've got somewhere for you to stay or we'll pay for an apartment you know or it might not be a hotel room they might put you in an apartment which is a couple hundred bucks a week instead of a couple hundred bucks a night yeah but they generally they look after you on most occasions um i've been pretty fortunate on most of my traveling trips that i haven't i've been too injured most of my injuries have come from my fights in australia whether it's been local or whether it's been in the ufc and i've been looked after every time so right. look Credits to the UFC. Like, they look after athletes, man. Like, a lot of people talk shit about them and, you know, oh, the money's shit, the money's this, the money's that. I always look at it like NRL players used to complain about pay while they were fucking laying bricks all day and smoking darts and drinking pistols Mm. and training twice a week. And they were always complaining about pay. But 30 years on, people are getting paid a million dollars a season. Mm. You know, MMA's young. MMA's young. I get it that they need to complain about pay because over time it will it will get better, but at the end of the day, it is what it is now because we're in this era of MMA. And in twenty years' time, the era of MMA will be different. Conor McGregor's purse will be standard. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Probably not. But like (laughs) like, you know, like hundred grand will be like your first fight in the UFC, not ten. Because time with time, everything develops. and i know you've got to complain to get that traction but i also think a lot of athletes fail to realize they need to make the most of their opportunities um i worked a full-time job the whole time i was in the ufc and my whole fight career and i used that full-time job to support and develop my personal um circumstances so I support my family buy a house all that sort of stuff and i used my ufc money to make the most which is why i have a gym now that i that i own and stuff like that because you know, I reinvested the small amount of money we make in this era to better my life. And I think that a lot of them fail to do that because they think, well, I spent 10 years living on UFC money. At the end, they go, well, I've got nothing to show for it. Well, that's because you lived on it. You know, I I worked, I lived on that money. I'm a real person. I understand, like, that the money's not good enough to live on anyway. And if you do struggle through, in 10 years time, you'll have nothing. So I'm just, um, you know, I think the UFC looked after me really well. They paid me well for who I was at the time, and I made the most of that money. Um, but they, they look after guys with, like, injuries and illnesses and stuff like that. So prior to cutting me, four weeks prior to releasing me from my contract, they paid for my left knee surgery. They didn't have to. They could have told me no, um, but they didn't, and they paid for my ongoing physio, even though they release me from a contract. So, you know. Um... I think
2: at the end of the day, look, UFC fighting these days, it's not, it's, it's a lot, it's very similar to the old gladiator model. It wasn't, because I mean, people know who's, who has the belts, but Conor McGregor is a perfect example now. He still makes a fuckload of money for UFC when he's not fighting for belts anymore. It's not like footy where you're climbing a ladder, playing the whole season, trying to get the grand final at the end of the year. It's prize fighting where, you will get more money if you are entertaining and fucking you, you build an entire entertainment model around, not just when you're in the ring, but who you are outside of it.
1: Well, you see it with guys in the UFC, like John Fitch got cut after one loss. I think he was like, I think he like lost a fight one, two, had a draw, then he lost and he got released. Now he just fought GSP for the title, like three fights earlier. Um, they fucking didn't like his style because he's, like, boring. Yeah. Now, if you understand martial arts, he's not boring. He's actually quite exciting. But from an entertainment value, he's very boring. Yeah. Um, they released him after one fight. Then you got someone like Taito Vasa, heavyweight, goes to the knockout every time, lost three in a row. They kept him. They could have released him, but they kept him. That's just entertainment. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of what UFC is It's
2: like WWE, but you're actually going to get fucking hurt. Yeah. When you're in the ring. I look, it's like Jess Clark. I don't know. Did you ever roll with her much in Townsville?
1: Yeah, I trained with her. No, I trained with her in Brisbane for a few years. Oh, did you? I talked to her a fair bit.
2: Yeah. Well, she's coming. She was an ambassador when we first kicked off. because I was mates with her when we were in Townsville, and then kind of lost touch last year. But she's coming back on this year, and. She's, I think she won her last fight, but she was out for ages. And they keep her on because she's fucking entertaining. And out, out of the ring, she's not just relying on being a UFC fighter. She's, she's building a personality, and a, brand. a brand around herself.
1: Yeah. And that's what you like, that's fucking smart, man. you got you got to build your own brand, you know, whatever that is. Um, I got to the UFC when I was 31. And I'm no, under no like. I knew that I wasn't going to make millions. So make what I can make, get out, make the most of it. You know, if I got to the UFC, like Jake Matthews, I think was like 21 or 22 or something like that. Um, That's different. Take your time, build a life, get yourself $100,000, $200,000, fight. I think he's about to have his 15th fight in the UFC. So it's like I was at an age where I I didn't have the opportunity. So it was build the brand, make what you can. Get out and use that brand to build something mm-hmm. else, um, and you know I've been fortunate enough to do that. And there's a lot of people out there doing it now. The Conor McGregor one, like you say, it's a perfect example. His pay per view last weekend, last weekend against Dustin Poirier, um, second highest pay per view seller in history, right yep. on a Magomedov. Now, like under. Uh, right under than the Magomedov fight. I thought it was over. I thought, wasn't there a fucking clip no, going no. around of, no, of no, no. Um, so, Dana White talking no, about Nah, so the Magomedov versus Conor made the most. Amount of pay-per-views, it was like over two million, two and a half or something like that. The one on the weekend predicted 1.6. Now, just like to put that in perspective, the beef between him and Nate Diaz didn't even make as much as last weekend. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's that's fucking crazy. Like, what a brand that is when you can fight someone who you've knocked out and sell more pay-per-views than you did against Nate Diaz in the second fight? Mm. That's 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 what you call building your brand.
2: And he lost, and he, his next fight will still will be just as big.
1: His next fight will be like someone like uh, you know Diaz three or Poirier three or something like that, and it's gonna make probably another one point eight to two million yeah. pay-per-views. Yeah, and it's people not call it arrogant, man. I'm like, arrogance is one thing, but when you can back it like
2: that, is it still arrogance, or are you just running the fight game? Yeah, yeah, um, I don't know. So who's um, like I, I, will be honest. Like I fucking love watching UFC, but it's always big name fighters that I'm watching because I, 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 dumb can't when it comes to following UFC properly. Who are the Aussies to watch at the moment? Jake Matthews has got to be one of them. Well, now Jake
1: Matthews, I think, is on a three fight win streak. Um, but he's young, man. You know, like he has got time on his side. He takes times time between fights. Like follow him on his Instagram. He's always doing bicep curls in his garage. Yeah, he's probably doing the old workout, mate. He, he joined the army, didn't he, for a bit? The I think reservists. I think he did, didn't he? Probably yeah, he's doing, a reserve. Probably doing yeah. back and yeah. bicep <laughs> <boys>, shoulders and, <laughs> and <laughs> legs. Yeah, they do that. Six mate. days a week, three day splits. <laughs> um, but he's always he's always in his garage doing curls. Um, if he's listening sometime soon in the future, he might need to do a few more, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, he, I think he's one to watch, um, you know, and the other ones are pretty obvious, um, you know, you got Volkanovski the a champ, um, he's an Aussie for all those Kiwis yeah, out there, there trying to him
2: claim him.
1: And then uh, and then you got um, you know, Adesanya. But the city kickboxing team in general, they got they got a good model, you know. Most of them are strikers with good high level defensive wrestling. Um, not many of them wrestle on the ground despite the fact that they, they all can and they can all grapple as well. Um, but they don't because they can just keep knocking people out. But um I think I think Jake Matthews he he's a he's a solid one to watch, man. He he'll do good things. He's got time on his side. Um and uh Jimmy Crute, Jimmy, Jimmy Crute. Crute. So Jimmy Crute is um he's light heavyweight. Um I think his only loss in the UFC was to Misha Sekunov, who out wrestled him. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he's finished every other opponent he's faced in the UFC. So he, he might be like ten or eleven and one now, maybe even twelve and one. Uh, he was undefeated when the UFC signed him. And uh yeah, he um he's super exciting because He's a good grappler, but he trains. Um, he's a really good kickboxing um, man. He goes for the finish every time. Yeah, uh, he's got insane. an exciting fight coming up soon too. I think he's fighting. I think he's fighting Johnny Walker, who came in as a hot prospect, jumping around, doing flying knees yeah. and all sorts of weird flying shit. Um, so I think he's fighting him soon. Maybe I could be wrong, but I think he is. And uh, so yeah, him and Jake Matthews definitely two good ones to watch um both young both up and coming both got what it takes um and uh i think i think everyone should watch out for Tyson pedro's return yeah a man a man that has two knee surgeries and goes through what he's been through and then comes back doesn't doesn't just uh doesn't just come back just to feel hungry you know, yeah. he's gonna come back hungry man he um he just announced yesterday that he's having a baby and i love that family hey they're, they're awesome and uh he just announced yesterday he's having a baby. He's had two ACL reconstructions. He's had two years off. Prior to that, I mean, he tore his ACL fight in Shogun Hua. Mm-hmm. Like, big name veteran, pride UFC veteran and legend. And he tore his knee in it. But I think, I think, I watch all his training there. I reckon he'll come back and he'll burst back onto the scene, man. He's young. He signed with the UFC when he was 4 and 0. Um, and. Not many people do that. Most people got a lot more experience, so I think I think he'll come back real good. Yeah, no, that's
2: good. Any any chicks? Is it there any?
1: there's um any chicks? Was it?
2: No, it was in any like chick fighters. Not, towards
1: one of our guys, eh? Any chicks? no I'm well, yeah. It's kind of always it's better tourists. Two, <laughs> two, <laughs> two, two, <laughs> two never
2: <laughs> had to ask. Just <laughs> <laughs> turned up. So um, Jess is
1: still fighting. There's another. I've forgotten her name. I follow her on Instagram. She, there's she Nadia kasem she was fighting, I don't no. know if she's still in the UFC or she got released.
2: Is it the champion of another promotion came across and
1: fought she lost her first UFC fight to Megan Anderson's fighting yes. Amanda Nunes. Nunes. Yeah, is that coming uh, she's up? She's fighting for the belt in seven weeks. Um bold prediction she will knock Amanda Nunes out. Ooh, that'll that'll I mean she's on the map, but that'll She'll knock her out. In the middle of it. Bold that. prediction. Fuck. All right. There, there you go, go there first, Ooh, mate. Mark you go. It mate. Mark it down. Mark it down, boys. Be, um, Don't, put it, <laughs> <laughs> Don't put the house on it, just the shed. Don't put the house on it, just the shed. So, be like um, these
2: stocks will be backing, mate. a
1: shot back in fighters, I think. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how she loses. The same way Duranda May just lost to her. She'll just get wrestled. So, Manner's will take her down, won't submit her, and just fucking lay on her for five rounds. That's what'll happen. Or Megan Anderson will be the. Tallest and longest range fighter that Nunes has fought, and and she'll knock her out. That's the the only two ways the fight goes, in my opinion. You be first, mate. Put the house on it. I mean, the shed, not the house. Don't put the house on it. Just the shed. The garden shed, by the way. Don't put too much on it. Good to
2: go. That's UFC. And your gym, mate. What's going on at your gym? Whereabouts is it?
1: Oh, I'm about to blow this Brisbane MMA scene up. Um, Man, we, um, we are on Leeches Road in Brendale. I won't give you the address because that shit's about to change. Is this, oh, this is the current one? Yeah, so we're, we're in Brendale. Um, man, we, we've got, you know, a 100-square-meter CrossFit set up and a 200-square-meters' worth of MMA area. Um, we're about to go to a new building. Um, we're just in the very early stages of moving of, like, legal side of it not the actual moving part um but it won't be long man and um i'm confident we'll be the the biggest martial arts and fitness kind of gym martial arts orientated gym in, in brisbane if not queensland um but more importantly i run a martial arts community i don't run a fight gym um am really proud of the amount of people who have joined the gym you know guys in their 40s joined the gym lost 20 30 kilos feeling the best they've ever felt in their life that's what it's about it's not about producing the next conor mcgregor um although that would help with my marketing it's (laughs) um it that's not what it's about you know for me it's about giving back to the martial arts community and providing people what martial arts has provided me which is a a solid um mental health out In my life um and that that's that was always the goal you know and um we've kind of grown into the facility that we've got now i I took on that that risk without a single pt client you know Um, and now we've got a very solid member database and um we're ready to move we're gonna we're gonna hire a couple of pts we're gonna build a coffee shop and Um, We expect that it won't be long before we have a physio or an an EP working there as well. And we'll be able to provide those services for, you know, the local person to get fit, the person that wants to learn martial arts, the person that needs to see a physio. um, Or more importantly, I shouldn't say that, but just as importantly, um, you know, the veteran that can't get out of their house, um, we're we're going to set up the coffee shop so we can we can set up a solid weekly catch-up mm. um, to get people to get people out. So, I built my business off the back of me being a veteran and being in the UFC to provide martial arts to people, but more importantly to provide to provide a, a community that got around each other without judgment. Mm. Um, and I think we've done that. So, um, yeah, we we are um, pumping, man. We've we've had seven guys fight since we've been open. And we've been open. 20 months. Um, out of those seven guys, only one of them had fights prior in MMA. Um, so the others have all have all had fights out of our gym for the first time. Um, so that's exciting. You know, like being a fighter myself, it it really attracts me to the fight scene. It's um, it's, it's easy, but um, there's a bigger goal there, and that's just to provide an environment that makes people want to get out of it every day. Hundred percent,
2: man. And that's the, the, the old RSL model, like the RSLs were there so that veterans could go and hang out and talk shit, and that was the mental health program, just hanging out. That's not really working anymore young because young diggers don't want to go to RSLs and play fighting and, yeah. and and gyms is where it's it's the new model. It's like well, gyms or a health base. Um, fight gyms, like we're we're trying to do the same coodie diggers luckily is is moving they put their pokies right downstairs the whole top middle floor and the whole top floor is now a gym and a pool and it's like they're a fucking lifestyle centre
1: it's got the RSL brand on the front well that's that's you know like I wanted to use what I've built my brand and my martial arts and fighting and military and stuff I wanted to use that but to build that you know that community centre lifestyle centre training centre you know whatever you want to call it I wanted to build that so people can come. And I mean, you know, we, we all just hang out together. Yeah. You know, like, I was only open like six weeks. And one of the guys was like, Oh, you know, such and such came over to me house and watched UFC. And I said, Oh, did you guys know each other before you joined up? He's like, No, nah, man, we just met each other here. Like, six weeks into having my gym open, people are watching fucking UFC events and Let's drinking see. beers together. And that's 100%. that's what it's about. It's not about producing, you know, um, Fighters for every second card. So I'm away from my family every weekend. It's about producing an environment that makes people want to have that gym as part of their day. Because when they walk in, they feel shit, and when they walk out, they feel awesome. That's what it's about. That's what we provide. That's what we have provided. That's what people will talk about. And um, and and yeah, you know, fighting is a byproduct of your environment. And I'll always be there for the guys that want to fight and I'll take them as far as they want. You know, Hopefully one day someone wants to go to the UFC, I've got young kids, that that's their goal. Hopefully one day I can take them there. You know, we've, we've got the coaches and the athletes around them to provide that, um, same as my coaches did me, and I'll do it for them. But as far as the gym goes, everyone trains together, everyone hangs out together, everyone gets better together. Fine. Let's
2: see. What about yourself, fighting again? Yeah.
1: We're gonna, talk about it. Are we We're gonna, gonna do this. Talk about it. <laughs> no, we, we, we don't have to. <laughs> no, nah, so um, we got you know the, the situation is Japan just announced that Australians can't travel to Japan until 2022. Um, since I left the UFC, we've talked to them a couple of times. Um, they offered me and a, another guy to someone last year. Unfortunately, um, not last year because I was recovering from surgery the year before. After I got released, unfortunately, they chose the other guy, so I didn't get back in. Um, the next time there was a spot came up for, for an athlete, I was coming off a loss. They said, oh, you're coming off a loss. So I can't really fight anywhere else. And, and because of COVID, really, the UFC is the only place where guys are getting active. Um, I don't want to fight locally because it doesn't make sense. You know, I can't lose, I can't lose money from my business or from working. Um, to make less money fighting because it doesn't make any sense. So, you know, we're, we're, we're working on a fight in Brisbane. Um, sometime, I can't say the dates because there's not many shows, but sometime in the next eight weeks. amount of time. Right. <laughs> uh, it might be nine, I'm not sure. Um, me and the opponent have both said yes. It's just the details When the details, you know, Ross, don't be a sack. <laughs> just cut, cut your purse in half. Let's just punch on the crowd. Need it. My family and friends need it. My member database needs it. We all need that violence in our life. And so do you. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's not, you know, it's all respect. Uh, Ross Pearson's a, fucking stud Um, you know he was in the UFC for years like a decade or more Uh, he won the ultimate fighter he was in the top 15 he's fought the who's who he got robbed by the fucking Mexican Commission when he beat Diego Sanchez Uh, I've been a Ross Pearson fan forever Um, Ross gave me advice when I was opening my gym man it's all respect but both of us personally like in personal messages have agreed that it's a good fight. We'd both love to make it happen. Um, you know, if the promotion can't make it happen, maybe we can get some sponsors on board and we can make it happen because, man, it is a blockbuster of a fight. It's something that I want, he wants, the fans will want. It's, uh, it screams bloodthirst Western culture fighting, not uh, grappling heavy. Hugging. Um, so, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it's a cool fight. And and I've asked a bunch of promoters to make it happen because we've agreed to it between ourselves. And, and um, yeah, it's all respect. But, um, unfortunately, that it's prize fighting, man. The prize needs to make sense or the fight doesn't happen. So, every, you know, that's and that's fighting. Like You hear it a lot of the times that people are like, oh, man, he doesn't want to fight me. That's bullshit. The promoter just doesn't want to give him the extra five grand. Yeah. You know, like, so... Um, but I know they got a business to run as well, so we'll just see what happens. But um, you know, Ross cut your person in half, bro. Let's go. <laughs> uh, so we'll just, we'll just see what happens. See I'd like happens. to, uh, I'd like to fight one more time in Australia, and I'd like that to be my fight. And uh, and then, I'd like to um, just sit back and I could sit on that one. And you know, if big opportunities came up in the future, then I would look at them, but I could definitely sit on that one, man. Yeah. There's, there's not many fights that I'd be happy to sit on, but I'd sit on that one. Okay.
2: Mate, i will got to bounce out for a,
0: a piece in a second. We'll have... No, nah, mate, I think that's fucking pretty good. We we have we have to get you back on, dude, because I want to deep dive your brain and the psychology yeah. of fighting and why the fuck you get in the ring with people. It's crazy, man. It was, I'm glad you took the time out of your day to come on, man. And It was always right. a pleasure talking to you.
1: That's right. Uh too I'm here for it. Yeah, fuck All yeah. I mean, we'll have a chat after this, but
2: um, I think the the, the borders are going to open up properly, hopefully, in the next few days or whatever. We're going to spend a lot more time in Queensland. Are you from Greater Sydney? Hey, I'm from Newcastle. So, fuck
1: oh, you yeah. Sorry, guys. I'm going to get tested. Everyone gets tested. <laughs> Um, you get
2: tested when you hang out with us. They really exploit you with those That's tests. That's a different sort of test, but. <laughs> they
1: really exploit you with those tests, don't they? Yeah. Have you yeah. had one? Invasive. Oh, yeah. man.
0: They yeah. put up your bum, right? That's what happened to me. Yeah, of course.
1: But no, we. I
2: mean, they went from I'm gonna, nose I'm to mouth man. me. They went from nose to mouth on They went from nose to mouth on Back out of the
1: gutter and then. <laughs> no, legit. What's that? Nose. Oh, mouth. nose like, well, to mouth is what you're saying. Oh, you talking to- <laughs> I'm <laughs> doing
2: dots in my head. I'm like, don't let him go there. Change the subject.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, man. They went. They swabbed the nose and straightened the throat. I was like, fucking hell. I was very, uh, yeah, Yeah, I was, like, yeah, old oh, mate. And then he told me I was a drama queen. Because I was rubbing my nose. I felt like punching him out. But anyway, he's a nurse. No- <laughs> no- I can't do that to him.
2: But no, we've got to, there's, there's, there's a strong veteran community in Gold Coast, Brizzy. Um, and we definitely want to spend more time up here. So I think sounds like what you're building in your gym could be the spot where we need to start. If we're going to do events or whatever, we'll come to, we'll come to your gym. And-
1: Man, it's there. It's going to be, be huge. What you put some stuff huge. Can't go into too many details because it's not done yet. But, no, no. But, um, you know, it, it wouldn't even need to be done yet. But at the end of the day, it was my goal from the start was to, you know, get one place out, grow it, get another place out, grow it okay. and um, just make it. Make it what people want in their life every week. And um, that's what it's turned into. So um, it'd be awesome to have you guys out there next time. And uh, we, can have a, we can have a chat. I've got, um, you won't have to hold on to my microphones, bro. Yeah. I'll attach them to the desk for you. So you can... <laughs> yeah. Well, we we're going to get boom arms, <laughs> but guys, the uh, the finance guys. director. we charity,
2: <laughs> mate. We're on a budget. Next like, we need boom arms because we've got boom arms like those swing arms at home kids when we do it from all around the place. He's like, mate, if we're going to get a proper podcast set up, you've got to get swing arms. I'm like, how much are they? And he goes, 80 bucks. I'm like, no. It's
1: not the budget, mate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we'll get the UFC to sponsor the podcast. We'll be good to go. <laughs> I
1: don't sponsor <laughs> I think, their athletes, mate. Cheers, man. Cheers, I really right.
0: appreciate it.